Hello and welcome to the 551 Podcast. My name is Wes Berdine. I'm sitting in a cold, cold winter basement with uh, Jeb Brovsky. How are you, man? Good. How are you doing, sir? I'm I'm great. You you're back with the mustache. I don't know if you've put this on Twitter at all or, or anything, but I, I'm fully committed. But it's and it's not even it's not even at the um, uh, uh, Daniel Day Lewis mm-hmm. uh, Gangs of New York. It's it's just I'm a cop. It's just sitting you up just, there. Yeah, you've got you just look like a cop right now. My my upper lip is the warmest part of my body, and <laughs> in Minnesota that goes a long way. So yeah, um, it's yeah it's a, it's a lifestyle. Um, yeah. It's certainly not a lifestyle for the suburbs because coaching kids, um, I'm not sure if it hurts me or helps me, but I think it, I think it really hurts me. You know, I think, yeah, it definitely doesn't help. No, There's really nothing about I, a mustache. I, I, that, I'm, I'm really looking for some positives in it, yeah. but, uh, you know, it'll get you action at a cocktail bar in, uh, in a hip neighborhood, but that's, I've got that in my pocket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so we're, we're going to, we're going to catch up and, and talk about kind of what you're up to. You've got generation footy that you kind of launched last week. Uh, we, but we, we also have lots of other things to talk about. Um, uh, including the U S soccer uh federation's presidential election uh we've got uh colombian designated player uh announcements uh and we've got uh lots of questions lots of good questions too so um let's uh let's listen to some music from big quarters we'll come back and then uh and then it's fun time Back on the fifty five one podcast, uh, it's Sazerac night here on fifty five one. Uh, you've never had a Sazerac. That is my drink of choice. Tell so, you what, how's it doing? My world has been has been yeah. just blown away. It's okay. incredible. Everyone else, um, since you're listening to this on your way to work, at work, just pull over to the side of the road, pull out the rye whiskey and the shaker and the absinthe and everything. Just just drink along with us. It's the safest thing. Mm-hmm. Unless you're underage, and then do not get me arrested, since I have a cop in the room with me. That's right. Um, so uh, the biggest biggest thing this week happened, uh, non-Minnesota news, obviously big U.S. soccer news, the U.S. Soccer Federation presidential election. Uh, I've talked about many times on this podcast how I did, I was completely checked out of this, uh, was angry about it, didn't want to hear anything of it, because I thought it was so stupid. I, I don't, did you follow it much? Do you? Are you pretty like just trying to keep a zen, like get your life together and yeah. ignore big cr- controversy? Um, Where did you? How did you interact with this? Yeah, I mean, when my life gets crazier, I, I for some reason, get more attracted to chaos. So okay. I, I, I did, <laughs> I did try to follow it a little bit, um, especially at the end. Yeah, um, and I really try to listen to what each candidate was saying and what they what they were proposing, and and just kind of, kind of their vibe of. There, I was. I, I'm always interested in the future. Like, what what are you trying to build from the ground up? And I wasn't hearing a lot from, you know, there was a in any election, just like the U.S. election. There's a lot of complaining about what's going on. There's a yeah. lot of um, articles written out saying like U.S. soccer is in a in a in a bad way, and that's fine. We need solutions. We need we need people with ideas that um, have been from the youth programs all the way through this entire system um, and just kind of understand, I think, the struggles that American soccer players are going through. And and in the end, U.S. soccer is about the players. Like, it really is. And the fans and the 
culture and something that we're trying to portray to the world. And I think we kind of miss the mark on that. We're, we're trying to, we're, we're trying just to throw out a bunch of ideas that they're not solutions. They're just, you know what? We need something new. And then no one kind of gave me that, but guess what? We need to develop this, this, and this. And then, you know, the, the pro rel guys got into it and everyone gets into it and no one has a concrete going, what, what is actually wrong with our system? And, you know, we all talk about the national team. We all, and all of a sudden it just came back to Trinidad. Yeah. That's fine. And Trinidad was one game and it was developed over years and years of, of, yeah. of problems. But those problems didn't just, you know, weren't created on that day in Trinidad. But the fact is, Trinidad goes differently. Even if Trinidad goes the same and it goes differently in, in with Honduras, or this election never happens. Sunil runs again, basically unopposed, mm-hmm. and Bruce Arena still has the, a job. Yeah, probably. the problems are, are still there. Um, I, I have not been able to. I don't think I'll be able to get time to write this article. So I'll, I'll throw out my thesis on this, which is that. Um, Soccer fandom, the, or the, the space in which uh, U.S. Soccer Federation election played out publicly, right? The Twitter world and that stuff, websites and things, is completely, is, has absolutely different interest than the actual voters, right? The mm-hmm. voters are, uh, let's see, they're, you know, the presidents of the, the adult soccer associations. I spoke with Steve May of Minnesota Youth Soccer Association. Um, you've got the Players Council, you've got MLS, you've got, you know, USL, you've got these various things. Every one of them has a a fiefdom, right? They, Mm -hmm. you know, Steve May from Minnesota Youth Soccer, he needs, you know, what he needs U.S. Soccer Federation to do is serve the interests of these youth kids that he's got, you know, and and adults uh, are also served in other spaces, etc. And that's all about the amateur game and also development. You know, the Players' Council, they've got their own interest. MLS obviously has their own interest. All of them are completely valid. But when I say I want X person to be president, as me, Wes, saying this, I, I want soccer in America to grow, right? Mm-hmm. That's a that's a, a very high-level thing. And I could come up with um, ways I think that could happen, you know, uh, and pay-to-play. All the, all the, I could say pro-rel, you know, I could say... Yeah. Um, but that's very different than what the players' council are there to say. I want a president who will do these specific things, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's a very different. Not that no these people these voters aren't interested in growing soccer, but it's just a very different from uh, a high level concept to just very specific needs. And I think that's one of the conflicts that happened with this election: why people didn't understand what was going on, and also why. Uh, maybe people were more shocked by by the result. Maybe, it doesn't sound like people were blown, extremely shocked. But I think people thought more, uh, the the insurgent wing, the the Martino, Winaldas, and those guys would get more than they. The two of them got ten percent each. Right? Yeah. The first, I think people thought that that'd be a bit more, and then you know eventually Kathy Carter would win win out. But right. I, I don't know. I I, I think that. The the problem is there are just too many too many like small problems and and aren't clear solutions and I don't think that we that us uh, this is why I was checked out a presidential election is going to change that right mm-hmm. there's there's it's just got to be a small thing we have to 
accept the fact that we're going to have a slightly corrupt, but not as corrupt as most places, uh, group of rich people mm-hmm. running soccer. So how can we like ignore the fact that stuff is messed up and fix it on levels that we can engage with? Right. That's just, right. maybe that's just my life worldview. I, you know, capitalism is destroying everything. No, so yeah, how can I fix small things? It is. Know? It is like a microcosm of our country. You know, it, we have Goldman Sachs running uh, mm-hmm. U.S. soccer right now. <laughs> it's just a fact. You know, and um, like you said, it's to the voter uh, who votes in U.S. soccer. They're going to have their um, just like you know our representatives in the, in the states. Like they they have their own personal votes um and they're supposed to represent some you know the people who don't have a vote and that's that's just the way elections go and especially in this in this federation that's just the way it went but for me it has to like you said has to be organic you know these small changes have to happen and that's why you know the martinos and the winaldas they they did spark like the social media um excitement and the and the almost the anger they kind of built on but you know for me of course we would want you know i want a soccer person or a person who just knows the game in and out in this country to run U.S. soccer. It just makes sense. But, you know, then you look at our our election. Like, we don't have a politician running in the United States. So that's that just happens. You know, that these things happen. But as soccer lovers and passionate people in this country, we just have to take it on ourselves. You know, our yeah. lives aren't going to change that much, um, depending on who the president of the United States, president of USSF is. But we need to make individual changes. Um, it's it's a big country, so it's hard to create like this is you know like the Dutch did. You know we yeah. have we have the Dutch soccer way. Yeah. Um, it's more difficult here, obviously, but I think we just individually and as a collective group need to raise our standards and our expectations um, and our value of our players and our um, and our fans and our stadiums and everything. We just need to raise our profile a little bit from the ground up. And I don't think it's going to come from the top down. I don't think change ever comes from the top yeah. down. Um, and it's not in the form of a revolution in, in American soccer. I think, like you said, it's little changes that we can do in our communities, in our youth clubs, in our colleges, whatever it may be. We have a different system, but let's raise our expectations a little bit. Why not just bump the level up a little bit and see what happens? Yeah. Um, I also, the my, my final thought on this, I, I honestly think that the difference between American soccer underneath Carlos Cordero and the difference between it under Kyle Martino is like... Point five percent. I just, I just don't think much would, much would be different. Um, There's a lot. Maybe, maybe Winalda versus Kathy Carter. It would be or hopes under Hope Solo hopes, versus yeah. Kathy. Yeah, that would be. There would be differences, but I just, I just don't. No, and I, I don't I, think. I think, it, I think the thing that Hope Solo, you know, um, she came in with, uh, you know, just the baggage. You know, she came in with mm-hmm. people already having a, an idea of who she was. And I think if people listened to what she was trying to say, and she said it passionately, she said it. Um, I, I, you know, as as a outspoken player myself, I think she took it to the next level, which kind of turned peop- some people off. But the message that she was giving, especially about the women's game, mm-hmm. was on point. And some of the things that she said needed to be out in the open because a lot of people weren't aware um, in U.S. soccer. And, you know, like the girl, the women's game in this country is phenomenal and it should be appreciated. It should be grown just as much as the men's because all of us are talking about the Trinidad game. 
Yeah. And um, when she said that the women are, are treated as second-class citizens, you know, even I personally, I can look at myself mm-hmm. and my, my experience and kind of look at, you know, when I was at Notre Dame, the Notre Dame girls were national champions. They they went to, the, um, the I think, the Final Four, like two, three out of the four years I was there. Um, and to a lot of the guys players and to a lot of us, it, it didn't resonate. It, it wasn't like as cool as it was if we would have made it, you know, and that, that might've been our bias, you know, going in. And, and so it took self reflection for me too, especially coaching girls, especially, um, working individually with girls players. I mean, some of my best players are, are the girls and they, they have passion. They have, I mean, they want to learn, they want to grow, but then they look forward into the pro ranks and they go, well, you know, I have to get my degree because I have to get another job. Um, right. It's kind of where the MLS was in the 90s and the early 2000s yeah. where you're making 12000 20000 30000 And um, so that does need to be looked at. And we yeah. do need to take a hard look at ourselves, um, you know, because it's easy to say, well, I'm not sexist. I'm not... I don't believe that. You know, I think everyone's equal. Well, then, you know, we need to have a system that yeah. kind of shows that and um, and we stand behind our convictions. Yeah. Let's move on to um, uh, big Colombian DP news uh, in MLS, which is that it's not about Nicholas Benedetti. It's uh, uh, FC Dallas <laughs> gets uh, Santiago Mosquera, who's a young 23-year-old forward. So I only bring that up because I'm sad. Which because you want a Colombian here so badly, is that <laughs> yeah. you just have a I just want more Colombian than, well, soccer fetish? Yeah, in yeah. Minnesota? Well, I just we've got Christian, and now I now I need yeah. another. Well, uh, you know, Colombian. Uh, we'll call it Christian or American. You know, we'll we'll talking about U.S. He soccer. Hasn't been we need, yet. I know we need Christian Ramirez in, in the United States. So speaking of March twenty seventh in uh, Cary, North Carolina, uh, at the at the whale at the whale boneyard whale boneyard. Uh, Get your the, tickets the, now. Killed your career. <laughs> I just hope Pulisic or the, you know like these guys like the national team guys. I just hope that you know like there's no one on the field that gets hurt. You know, that Moby Dick doesn't. Uh, Moby Dick doesn't grab him. them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but that's uh, March 27th against. I think it's Paraguay. I did not write mm-hmm. this down. It yeah. is. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, I I tweeted out a, a gif of of uh, Christian hitting that just amazing worldy. ball. <laughs> the worldy. The first uh, yeah. goal of the season. In like the second minute of the season. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a long ball, chases it down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was also the game, if Minnesota fans remember, that Bernardo Anor um, got bloodied and knocked out, uh, pretty much knocked out cold. He went head to head with a defender. I'll never forget oh. that. Um, I, don't, I don't remember that. He, he jumped up for a, uh, just a 50 50 challenge. The, both of them went head to head, and there was a pool of blood on the boneyard. I mean, Damn. it. Place, it was it was it was a foreshadowing of events, oh. and I should have I should have read between the lines. Your man and your uh, is back in. Uh, is he from Venezuela? Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah, he's yeah. Back, he signed with the team. I, I, I yeah. thought I thought his career. I thought his body had had left him behind, but yeah. he's back playing. Good yeah, for him. Absolutely. I mean, it's, have you talked to him since he made the move? Is it not since he's made okay. the move? No, but I know his his um, his family's still here. Uh, his wife and his um, and his daughter. So they're. Um, they're hanging out in the cold while you know he's he's living the dream. But um, so any, no, I'm I'm really happy to see guys like that uh, who's had injury after injury in this yeah. in this in his career that um, you know he's still pushing on. So um, 
I, I made a joke about Nicholas Benedetti, but uh, Minnesota's uh, longest uh, friends uh, season uh, is continuing with uh, apparently, you know, Heath, uh, after the scrimmage against Orlando City last week, uh, said that it was kind of off, that they were not going to get Nicholas Benedetti after, sounds like they offered $6 million for him. Uh, and then Andy Greeter, who I'm sure spoke to someone in the club, uh, then tweeted that it sounds like it's not off. So uh, will they, won't they? Uh, the greatest Ross and Rachel. Uh, yeah, anyway, uh, that's that's still going on. Um, I just I just don't believe. Why would Rachel go after Ross? That's, uh, are we talking metaphorically still? No, no, we're still talking about the show. Now. Oh, we're just talking about the show. Yeah, I wasn't actually talking about Minnesota United. There's probably things about Ross you don't know. Yeah, you but. know, after that many seasons, we know, I think, all we need to know. He's just, he's a schlub. He's kind of annoying. And he's definitely two grades below in looks. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you if you want to go that route, you know, the, the whole... I'm, I'm shallow. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, I mean, I didn't want to say the, the S word, but wow. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> um, so, we all know Ross is out there, okay? Yeah. So Minnesota did play that um, kind of behind-the-scenes scrimmage with Orlando last week. It was basically two games, uh, two 60-minute games. Uh, first first 60 minutes was a 1-1 draw. Uh, had most of you know Minnesota's starters that, that, we saw, that we heard about. We didn't see anything from the previous scrimmages. The second 60 minutes apparently... Was like you know the BC team and uh, against Orlando. The Orlando's first game, first game was like seventy percent starters. Then in the second game against our BC squad and trialists and such, uh, it was like Kleshton and a few of those guys were in. So um, uh, yeah, it was three nothing Orlando. Uh, which tells you you know about maybe a bit, a bit about Minnesota's depth, uh, which. You know, is not deep at all. But I mean, it's and and I think actually Bobby Warshaw, who's who's the most he's, he's I love if you haven't followed Bobby and uh, Matt Doyle on Twitter, their their love affair with each other um, is phenomenal. They go back and forth on on their opinions. But Bobby tweeted something that was I, I think it's very. Big brother or little brother. Right, yeah, yeah, okay. Like it's a, not a love affair. It's it's more like yeah, a, I've got you in a headlock. Like, oh, my God, Bobby just said something. I'm gonna giving you a noogie, right yeah. yeah. Um, but Bobby said something um, about, you know, when fans and media kind of tweet and even say, like, this is our reserve squad in yeah. preseason. This is our B squad. As a player, from a player's perspective, he, you know, said this is actually kind of damaging to, hmm. to players, um, especially this early in preseason because everyone's trying to make their mark and, and no one's a real clear starter. And I think if teams go into these sessions and, and say, you know, the first team that played against the first 60 minutes, yeah. um, you know, there's guys on the second 60 minutes who are playing against question who want to prove themselves and say, this is yeah. my opportunity. And, and obviously they didn't take that opportunity. And, there's a lot of things that go into it. Yeah, you might have four or five trialists playing with you, and um, they're all trying to make you know individual efforts. But um, it's preseason's a, just an absolute. It's like the MLS season, you know, condensed. It's so long. It's it's grueling. These guys are doing fitness tests like probably yeah. a day before you know they yeah. play a game. So Is you know, there's not. I think fans and and media shouldn't put too much weight on the preseason games especially it's yeah. just kind of like these these guys are just getting their legs under them and the starters will weed themselves out by the time march comes around 
Is it surprising to see... I mean, the first three scrimmages have featured the same first 11, I think, almost almost entirely. There might have been one switch mm-hmm. out in the central midfield. That's it, telling to me, actually. Yeah, th- I, th- I was a bit surprised by that. I don't know if that's surprising that's, to you. That's something all. that tells me um, where the depth is. Um, yeah. Because if you're a coach that's confident in your depth and you're you're a club that has, you know, say I have 18 guys that I could probably comfortably put in the mm-hmm. in the starting lineup which is a very good number um you're you're mixing and matching those those games right. all the time um and you're not certainly the first few games of preseason you're yeah. not starting your starters or who you think will be the starters right um because you you want that you want to give guys who might not be in the starting lineup who in your mind the opportunity to play with good players to see how they how they yeah. feel out and if you're just playing the same team um, it's also not good from a player's perspective because if you're on that second team, you're already in the first couple of weeks of preseason saying, wow, I'm not even like, they're not even looking at me to yeah. have a chance to start. You yeah. Know? That's, that's why I, I was a bit um, surprised by that, especially because, you know, most of the, as we've said previously on this podcast, most of the, um, first 11, I think, I think kind of sorts it out in probably, seven, eight of the spots. Pretty obvious Christian is the starter, right? It's pretty obvious Calvo is starting center back, mm-hmm. uh, etc. Um, and then there's a few others like, you know, okay, is it going to be Miguel or Sam on the left? Is it going to be, um, uh, you know, if Cronin, he was back in this uh, um, uh, lineup, which is great to see. We haven't mm-hmm. seen him at all since, yeah. since his uh, concussion injury. Um, you know, there are guys who who we'd like to see out there. Um, I I don't know. I I, I think that I, I'm a bit surprised, but who knows? We this coming week we have three uh, three preseason games coming up. Uh, starting with uh, this Saturday, it's Charleston Battery, six thirty p.m. Uh, Central Time, um, and that'll be fun to see. I mean, I I agree with you. Putting too much weight on this, like if we lose four to nothing, uh, you can have like. You can partially panic. I would say, like, panic a bit and, and like, you know, cry and then stop crying immediately. Right. And, yeah. Um, because because then you could come come right back and you know beat you know NYZFC four zero the next right. and then you say, wow, we're going to be flying this year. And yeah. So it's yeah. Likewise, especially if we if we win, uh, that's when I'm uh, <laughs> I, I tamp it down because getting too excited before the season is is a very bad idea. Right. But the, the, I'm still excited finally to be able to watch soccer again. So yeah. I'm, I mean, it's the off season is so long, yeah, and it leads to stupid people and uh, people smart people becoming stupid, myself included. Maybe I'm a dumb person become becoming dumber. Uh, just so stupid fights and childishness. Yeah. We just need games. And, and, and that's that's the funny thing about every single MLS season is that everyone going into the season, you know, um, media pundits, whoever it may be, they all we all have our ideas. You know, we have. Yeah. Yeah, guess what? This team's going to be flying this year, and I'm going to pick them for the MLS yeah. Cup. And it just never works out like that in this league. You yeah. know, someone's going to be the dark horse. Someone's going to surprise people. Sure, there's going to be the powerhouses, but I mean. No one's going to run away with the league because no one ever has. Uh, Toronto kind of did. Yeah. Okay. Last year was was yeah. um, was incredible what they yeah. did, and especially for Canada and for the Canadian teams. You know, being on a Canadian team, they I always um, felt you know from Vancouver, Montreal, um, 
they were always kind of like the second-class citizens of, of MLS because no Canadian team has ever made the MLS Cup. No Canadian team has ever done this and Supporter Shield. And they just roundhoused the entire league. Yeah. And now the, their challenge is to, to back it up. But you see all the adjustments that other MLS teams, some MLS teams are making. You know, um, Orlando's making a, a bunch of changes. I love what I'm seeing from LAFC. Um, I think they're building something. Does LAFC have a full squad yet? Uh, no, I don't think they do. I don't they even do. think they have, they have 18 players. But they're, the, the, I think because Bob Bradley and John Thorrington, I think these guys are so cerebral and they're very deliberate in what they do. They're not going to make any rash decisions. I think they're going to build it piece by piece. And if anyone has ever learned anything from expansion seasons, it's that if you rush into, into decisions and you – um, you know, make wild signings. It's never going to work out. It's yeah. not. It's not a smart tactic, and they're they're coming about it as an experienced team already. That I think, you know, you see guys like Laurent Simon, and and then you've got the young guys um, like Walker Zimmerman who they're bringing in. They're kind of just picking pieces. I'm really interested to see who they target for a, a defensive center midfielder because I think that is going to be like their cog and. Whoever they bring there is going to really Ricardo make the Clark. team. Clark, they're going to find a way to. Bob Bradley will find <laughs> a way to yeah. make Rico one of it, one one of his boys. But you know, um, and I'm not. I, I don't know his, his name, but the Egyptian um, mm-hmm. talent that, he, that Bob brought in. You know, I, I know he's going to be a very special player to keep an eye on this year. And um, Carlos Vela, like they have their talents, yeah. But I think they're building from the back forward. I mean, I think I think they have their back line. They have Jordan Harvey. They have Beta Short. They have these experienced guys who know how to keep the ball out of their net and that is uh, it's it's priceless in this league it really I, I is. mean of their back line uh i i would let any of them walk into minnesota's back line i mean the the yeah i mean and, and that's not like that's not a knock on the minnesota guys but, yeah yeah I mean, but it's honestly like, look at the experience it, in that back line yeah yeah it's it's it, crazy walker zimmerman i mean is is great lawrence Simon, all these guys um uh, I want to take a break because I want to come back and I want to talk about what what, what you've been up to. So let's Sounds do good. let's do music time. Back on the fifty five one podcast, uh, Jeb. Hello, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm almost ready for round two. <laughs> <laughs> um let's uh let's maybe catch up on on your life. Uh yeah. you started Generation Footy last week. Mm-hmm. Um and so tell me what what it is. It's generationfooty.com. People can go check that out, follow you on Twitter, uh follow that. That's a new account you started on Twitter. Mm-hmm. But uh t- tell us what it is. So I started Generation Footy essentially um kind of just what we talked about about um changing us soccer from the bottom up you know it's it's the little things that we can do um that that are going to change um american soccer players and and the expectations that we have for them and i I look around the 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 landscape of us soccer media and us soccer um coaching and and everything there's there's broad topics that are discussed there's um you know some good analysis out there um but there were there wasn't anything from me that looked like if I'm a kid or if I'm a, a coach or if I'm a fan, there's no there's really nothing out there that goes, um, yes, that topic's great, um, but 
here's like detailed topic or detailed how to's or detailed um, information about maybe what you're not hearing or maybe what you're not seeing. And um, so from my experience, from the people that I know, the people, the network that I've built over my career and my youth career, college, whatever, you know, I've been through the American system as an American player. I, I get where these kids are coming from. I get where coaches are coming from. Um, I've seen every spectrum of, of coach. I've seen the spectrum of fans. I've seen um, kids develop, you know, early and then kids develop late and every, everyone goes through their own journey and their own process. So all these articles, all these tips, all, anything that I put out there, um, it may not be for each individual, but a lot of individuals are going to connect with yeah. that piece, you know? So I, I know that going in, I know that I have, um, some valuable advice and, and things to give um, back to this beautiful game in this country because mm-hmm. um, we're, we're connected with it as an identity. We're, we're, we're so deep into our soccer identity as, as U.S. soccer fans and, and players and coaches that um, I want to raise the profile of passion too. You yeah. know, why not get excited about this stuff? Why not get excited about the details of the game or, um, you know, hearing from the horse's mouth, uh, you know, stuff that you're I don't want to just interview people and say um well how did you become a pro soccer player yeah and then I get a topical answer that everyone gives at an appearance or whatever and says man if you work hard and you grind and you you you, (laughs) you stay on your grind like you know and kids just that doesn't help anybody and I'm looking for tangible actionable advice that can just like help somebody and go ah that's that's just the direct information I needed to hear instead of all the beating around the bush of like, ah, yeah, guess what? You know, you have a, you have an ACL injury, um, you know, like you'll get through it, pal. Yeah. Top tap on the back, you know, that stuff. Yeah. That's, that's good from the outside looking in, but to that person, to that individual, it's not connecting to their heart. And I just want to connect to the hearts and minds of, of footy fans. And, and yeah. if you're passionate about this game, then you really don't want just, a topical piece of advice. You, you're, you're looking for something new and fresh and like straightforward, sometimes controversial, yeah. something that's maybe against the grain, but it's honest. And you can do a lot of R rated posts. I'm going to try. That's for sure. No, uh, <laughs> but I, I just want to be honest. Yeah. You know, I want to be genuine. And if someone doesn't like it or if someone dis- disagrees, I actually welcome that because I'd like to have a discussion. And that's, that's what we should have in this country is more honest, hard discussions about, you know, tactics, development, um, fandom, like whatever it may be, have your idea, but then have something to back it up. And if you can have a respectful, honest conversation about that, us soccer will grow. But if we, if we decide that everyone else is a, an idiot or like, you know, the pro rel guys, I want to have the most honest, deep, throw everything out on the table conversation. And I want an actionable thing that they're looking to do because everyone's turned off on that on on those guys because they're just loud. They just they they turn people off because they are frustrated and defensive and whatever. But let's have an honest conversation about every detail in US soccer and that's where Generation Footy I think um hopefully gives some people some relief and they can go to the website and find something new and you know, something every day that kind of goes, "Oh, that's pretty cool." But you know, a, a lot of uh a, a lot of what's happening on uh the big scale uh, conversation spaces, which are uh, not necessarily Reddit, but like Twitter and kind of the biggest web, the biggest websites that kind of help shape 
the direction, or even like Jason Davis on Sirius uh, FC. Mm-hmm. Um, those are those are dealing with these very uh, um, topics like promotion relegation. You know, very mm-hmm. like um, bureaucratic. Large scale top U- down. U.S. soccer type thing, yeah. And what you're talking about is, and in, in you're now in the in the coaching world and doing this stuff. Um, and uh, what you're talking about is the way in which, like, most people in America who are involved with soccer interact with soccer, right? Yeah. Most people involved with soccer in America are kids playing soccer. Mm-hmm. Uh, very few of them, tiny minority of them, will become. Uh, college soccer players, mm-hmm. far fewer professional soccer players who will then be affected by promotion relegation. Right. Um, as we talked about, like when the beginning with U.S. soccer, um, there are things that we want to talk about of developing soccer and making soccer better in the America. But part of it is just um, making soccer uh, better rather than making us better at soccer right making soccer better and Mm -hmm. doing things right making better kids you know we talk about sports as a way to build character and things like this but also just making it more inclusive and these and they have nothing to do with these big conversations right Mm -hmm. so but talking about kids making better at you know here's how to deal with here's if you're 14 here's you know, you've got an ACL injury, like you're saying. The, mm-hmm. th- that kind of advice. That's, you're you're approaching. You're talking about soccer in a space that um, that actually talks about it in in ways that matter, but isn't. It's not sexy because what's sexy is uh, who's where are the uh, MLS expansion cities, right? Mm-hmm. That those. Alex Schieffer Decker wrote an article uh, on Fifty Five One like two years ago. It's still. Gets read regularly yeah. all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, and then and those are the sexy things, right? And, yeah. and they don't fucking matter, right? Right. I mean, but and that's and I think those matter, pieces, guess, those right. pieces of of um, of content, um, they have their place. They certainly do, and obviously the the public reacts to those. Um, but my pieces and my pieces of content really want to just you know, if you're an individual who's a part of this big soccer community. You get on Generation Footy and you say, um, you know, I'm scrolling through the articles. Maybe one resonates, maybe one doesn't. But you're in your own journey, in your own head, reading these from your own vantage point. And you're going to get something different than another person, but you're going to get the same message. And so certain things, you know, from on the field, you know, little things, little pro details that even some of my boys at, you know, St. Thomas, um, they're 21, 22-year-olds haven't learned maybe the little little details that yeah. guys like via and guys like the world-class players are doing not the jebrovsky like it's it's yeah. the it's why not learn from those guys if you're 10 years old 12 years old um you know for instance um if you're a small striker mm-hmm. and and you're consistently getting beaten uh up you know when you're trying to hold a ball up and you're getting beaten by a bigger guy uh center back who's coming right up your back okay i want to write a piece of content for you that says, hey, you know, small striker, hang out off sides most of the time. You know, you have your speed, you have your quickness. Hang out off sides, and when you decide to check into that space, then check into that space, and I guarantee you will not get hit by those big boys all the time because you're thinking now. Let's let's start to get more cerebral about how we look at things. Mm-hmm. So these little things, you know, there might be... Um, 
they're just from my my experience, my different. You know, when I was a pro, even like I learned from the players around me. You know, they had different experiences. Some guys played in Europe, some guys played in South America, and each country, each league had their own system. You know, and and I learned, and I was like, wow, that that's really yeah. interesting. That touch, how you took that touch, is really interesting. And even when I coach, you know, a lot of coaches they'll say, okay, hit the ball with the outside of your foot. And that's that's their way of saying, let's teach these kids. Well, that's not teaching. If I'm a kid and I hear someone and I don't know how to hit a ball with my outside foot, well, then I'm you're going to have 75% of your kids hit it with the wrong technique. Well, let's break down that technique. Mm-hmm. You know, are you locking your ankle? Are you hitting it with your last three toes? Are you what's your follow through looking like? Is it coming across your body or is it straight? These are all little tiny details that you know we we overlook. Um, when we're going online and we're looking mm-hmm. for soccer articles and like you said, those, those grand pieces of uh, content out in the soccer world who are, who get millions of hits mm-hmm. are about MLS expansion or big ideas or whatever. Yeah. But I think if we want to change things from the bottom up, then, then, you know, as we have to start creating pieces of content for our youth, for our coaches. Yeah, for, I would say also, um, especially for the coaches. Well, and right? I, and yeah, like, and I, I certainly, most, I have most a, of the people out there coaching. I have a coaches section, are, and yeah. it's like this is how you connect with your. This is um, this is how you are, you know, become more aware of, you know, maybe I have a. So I have a podcast coming out this week with Jordan Angeli, who is a U.S. women's women's national team, um, tore ACL three times, and we we talk about in detail mm-hmm. how coaches and parents themselves can look at the the signs and the warning signs in their players mm-hmm. that injuries are about to occur. And mm-hmm. there are signs, especially psychological stress. Um, if someone's going through a, a big life change, you know, be more involved with your players, be more involved in your team, kind of get that, that atmosphere. And then you start to change your training schedule. Um, and it makes the world a difference, you know, being a player who's played for the guys who make you work, you know, as hard as you can, no matter, you know, what your schedule's like, how stressed you are, whatever, it doesn't matter to the coaches who are so in tune with your, the, their players that they always check in individually. They check in as a team. They are aware of, okay, we've had two or three games this, this week. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll play soccer tennis today, or maybe actually we'll have a video session and not, and just mm-hmm. shut down the guys and the girls for a second. Mm-hmm. These little things that just go overlooked and kind of taken for granted. These are the details that the best in the world are doing. Yeah. And and we always wonder as US soccer fans and 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 players, why are why are we so far behind? We have all this talent, we have all this because we're not paying attention to the details. Yeah. And that's the details are only going to come from within US soccer. You know, it's going to it's not going to say, "Hey, let's hire a bunch of um Dutch and Spanish coaches and coming over and then teaching their way of doing things." Well, if we want an American soccer culture, we have to build it within, and we have intelligent soccer minds in this country. But now we need to get the content out there to the masses that yeah. are actually are are actually listened to, and you know, high level. It's yeah. got to be high level, and we have to raise our expectations uh, of everybody. So uh, let me let me shift then to um, just catching more up on a new. The uh, we're into preseason, and you've kind of like you're not with the team, mm-hmm. uh, and I know that there have been kind of various kind of uh, offers, and you you have a life and family and things. 
Um, so I'm, I'm going to vaguely ask this so you don't have to go too deep into your life, but, <laughs> but I, I'm just wondering, uh, how you kind of feel at this point, I'm going to say it's vague and then I'm going to ask about your feelings. Yeah. You're kind of uh, at this stage where you're like still kind of young, mm-hmm. um, but it's a very difficult time for, uh, not just M- MLS, but like NASL is dead, right? Uh, almost. Um, so there's lots of guys who are employed there who need gigs, uh, but it's a, it's a very tough time for 30 plus year old uh players who are veterans but they're not uh, I'm 29 Wes. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> you should be old like Do your me. research. Yeah, yeah. Um uh, but uh, <laughs> No, yeah, and, and, no, I get but, you. But but who aren't uh you know Beta Shore mm-hmm. and uh Kyle Beckerman and right. these guys um uh, so yeah, and I don't know what, where, how, how have you kind yeah, of gone into this winter and, and coming out of it and figuring out what's going on with you? It's been, um, it's been kind of a, a, I mean, frustrating is an easy word to say. Um, but part of the reason I started generation footy was the anger of, of this can't keep happening to American players. If we're serious about growing this game in the, in this country, we, we have to stop treating American players kind of like the second class citizen in, in men's soccer. And I, and I say that lately because I just mentioned women's soccer and I know they're going through um, a lot of their own issues, but it's for players, especially my age, there's, you know, 20, 30 guys right now who are hanging up the boots and they're, they have, you know, in most places, 28, 29 year olds, some say that's some of your prime years. Right. And, a bunch of healthy guys, you know, um, with families, uh, are looking at a $35,000 contract, which, you know, I came into the league in 2011 in Vancouver making 32,000, uh, right. or for, you know, 32,000 the second year in, in Montreal. Um, and I was a single guy. I was a college kid and that was fantastic. I would have taken, I would have taken anything to play professional soccer. But as you grow and as you as you work through this game, um, you know we have these certain expectations that we're going to be looked after, and that if if I work hard and I and I play over a hundred games in MLS, that that's going to mean something in the end. And what I found is it doesn't. It really doesn't. Um, it there's a lot of guys out there who have just as amount of the experiences I do, and they're hanging up the boots because they say, "Well, you know, I've." I'm on Obamacare. Um, I have two kids. I have um, an offer to play across the country, which will cost me, you know, upwards of $20,000 or $15,000 to move my entire family, which won't be reimbursed by the team in USL or whoever it may be. Um, And I will be in the hole to be playing the game I love. And it will eat at my family, which all these guys value. You know, we value our families over our careers, which everyone should. And it got it's to this point in American soccer now where there's there's this big gap between, you know, 26 and 32 or 34 that these guys just have nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and NASL obviously was a big, uh, a big uh, damage to that. But this is the type of things that we need. These are the type of things that, you know, A, you need a union um, for every single league. You know, the USL needs a, a players union immediately. Um, NASL, I was I was shocked when I c- came into NASL with Minnesota United 
you know, talking to some of the guys who have been here for years, you know, Justin Davis and Aaron Pitchley and these guys, I'm like, why doesn't this league have a, a union? This is this is this is so bad for players that we don't even realize what could happen. And yeah. it it is happening. And it's happening to players all across this country. So I've been going through this process, you know, I've been applying to coaching jobs. And when you're a 29, 30, 31 year old um, who's been playing professional soccer, going into the, you know, quote unquote, real world, businesses aren't going to care. Yeah. They don't care. And people say, yeah, we value professional athletes. No, you don't. You know, if they can get an intern out of college or a person who's been an intern for two or three years in marketing or in whatever you got your degree in way back when, they're going to hire that person if they look at your resume. In coaching, coaching world's just the same. It's yeah. it's what's your experience in coaching. And a lot of pros now, you know, because pros have been retiring, going to coaching, the value of a professional um, coming into coaching is, is dropping. But there's there's now dwindling opportunity for these guys who have to hang them up because they can't afford to keep playing soccer to actually get a, a yeah. good job. And now they're even leaving a $35,000 soccer contract and, and now going into a $40,000 right coaching contract. Yeah. yeah coaching yeah. or intern contract. So it's, um, it, it's a, it's a tough time in American soccer. And I think if, if more players like me just kind of go off into the, into the sunset and we we don't voice these things or we don't confront them and turn around and say, you know what? You know, for instance, the Shea Bottom, who's coming out of mm-hmm. St. Thomas. Yeah. If if more Shea Bottoms are being developed in the United States, but they don't get a look or they don't they don't get the opportunity to develop in the pro ranks and actually make a good living being a professional soccer player and not live in the poverty line like some players yeah. are living. I mean, we have professional athletes in this country living on the poverty line. It's that alone should be a, a red flag to this entire country. But we're not talking about it. We're not talking about these guys because it's not sexy. Like you said, it's not the viral piece of content that people care about. Yeah, you know. And a lot of people will say, "Well, you're a professional athlete. Like that's that tag kind of puts you at like a." You get free boots, man. Yeah, you get free stuff, and like, no, it's not. And and what a lot of people in this country don't understand is it's not as sexy as it as people make it out to be. It's only sexy when like Frank Lampard's around to like get you into the VIP room. That, yeah, Yeah. I mean, or paying for your sushi dinner in Manhattan, where you're wondering how you're going to pay for your Uber home. You know, like (laughs) that's. At least you had. At least you had. You know, was it two years at NYC. I, I had one, yeah, one year. I had one, one year of sexy. I had. You, I had that year. And now we you're had. We sexy had New York with your mustache. We had New York. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, well, um, we'll attach your resume to the show notes. That's right. And, uh, get that out. Um, yeah. Anyone who has a line cook job for for Jeb. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, it, uh, thanks for talking about it. I know it's like, it, it's like. I have always wanted to get some of the voice, some of this stuff, because I, as I've gotten to know some players over the years, particularly in the NASL days, uh, gotten to know some of them and know, like, uh, when I, the first time, I think the first time Connor Tobin was going crazy and talking to me about uh, how, you know, players with no health insurance, I was just like, wait, what? Yeah. Players in NASL don't, these guys don't have health insurance and, Mm Things like like that, like if we, you know, uh, we as fans, like we, we 
care so much about this game, obsess over it, think about it, like need to confront the bad parts about the game and, and figure out, um, you know, um, what are the ways that we can like grow it by getting bigger players in, you know, the Miguel Almiron's that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Nicholas Benedetti coming would be awesome. That'd Mm -hmm. be great. I would love to see that. Okay. Let's, let's also figure out how we can create things that like now we've created Tam, which, uh, Ha- is as as far as uh, I've read, uh, one of the reasons why guys uh, who you know you're talking about your your friends who are just a bit older are hanging up their boots from MLS because you could get a a, a, a who knows Chris Winger to someone for two hundred thousand, or you could pay a hundred have a hundred fifty toward your cap and use your TAM to get uh whatever dude from Belgium and yeah. and that that kind of stuff. We, and that's, just, we need to take stock of like, okay, well, is that what we want? You know, if that's a decision we want to make, okay. But I don't think that that is that that's good in one way for U.S. soccer, really bad in other ways, mm-hmm. right? So what's what's our priority here? Right, and then and then we have to ask in our domestic leagues, in Major League Soccer, in um, USL, are we are we trying to contribute? to American soccer or are we trying to make money and, yeah. and just, just solely make money? What's our, what's our, like you said, our priority. And if our priority is making money, then be out front about it and, and don't say that we don't have any money as this league. We, we don't have, you know, we're not, you know, making money and then turn around and, and, you know, pay uh, a certain amount for, for somebody and then tell the American player who maybe worked their way, through the system, because the TAM point, which with the last CBA negotiations was a big deal and people thought that was a big win. But as time will tell, it's, it hurts a lot of American players that are, are making maybe the six-figure contracts who have worked their way from minimum. Because once that their contract is not picked up by a team, say they, you know, same thing happened to me in New York. I finally made my way into making $130,000 from $32,000 in five years and playing over a hundred games. And all of a sudden after uh, my uh, option was not picked up by New York, I went into the next preseason and my agent and the league were telling me that my value for not playing 15 games in my career, the Mm -hmm. last 15 games in New York after my, uh, after July, Mm -hmm. I, my value had dropped 70% back to $60,000 at minimum. And so wherever I signed, I'd have to sign a minimum contract. And there's no, first of all, that's why you have a, you should have a good union and yeah. that, that should never happen. But that's happening everywhere to these guys, to guys. Yeah. And, and so that's why a lot of guys are dropping down to lower leagues. But once now NASL's out, now you're looking at USL and USL teams are saying, Okay, you're coming back from MLS, but guess what? Your salary is going to be even lower than that minimum salary from MLS. Yeah. And now guys are questioning, do I keep playing the game I love? Yeah, yeah. And so that is the the kind of detriment to American players. And for me, as an American player, I there has to be more voices for the American player. You know, the even yep. the Brent Coleman's, you know, like yeah. these guys or or the your homegrown guys, you know. We have to be talking about how that plays into the overall structure of our country, of, of our domestic leagues, because yeah. the David Villas, the Frank Lampard's, the those guys are fantastic for this league, but 
they're not going to develop anything yeah. in our in our country, and especially for our national teams, especially for um, for our our USL leagues, whatever. Um, we have to start treating our American players I, like true pros. You need to. Help. You and I, we will start the Marxist book reading <laughs> for all all the all the uh, MLS players. We will get them organized. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come back. We've got some Twitter questions. Yay. We're back, Wes and Jeb. We've got Twitter questions. We've got actually really good Twitter questions. Not not like usual, really you know, mediocre people writing in. Only the good guys this week. Um, Generation Footy fans are yeah, gen- yeah, they're all. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, actually, until you've until you, no one sent in any, any questions until you retweeted it. There so. you go. Um, uh, th- there, there are actually a couple questions uh, similar to this. So Leo Bickelhopt uh, says we made several fairly low cost, low impact investments with uh, bringing in Tyrone Mears, Fr- Franz Pango from uh, Cameroon, etc. Then, as a preseason's beginning. We fly to South America to throw seven million at a guy. Uh, where are the mid to high level signings, which I expected a few of this off season? Signed, wondering in St. Paul. Uh, thank you, wondering. Uh, th- this is a good question because for ages I've been prepared by people in and amongst the club that uh, Minnesota United was looking at eight hundred thousand to a million dollar DPS. Right? They were looking for. Yeah, just guys who were, you know, Piatti, I think, is only making, you know, Valeri's, these guys. Um, and, uh, and and we should be clear that um, that was that salary. Seven million is a transfer fee. So seven million is a transfer fee would be top seven in MLS history. It'd be a very big spend out for a player. So who knows what he'd be making? Mm. Probably not, yeah. not a, a t- crazy amount, but... Um, I don't know. Is is there something to be said about like putting together, bringing in a guy like Mears and and these guys, um, and then throwing in a magic uh, talisman that yeah. we would hope Benedetti would be? I mean, or does that create problems when you have the magic talisman and and journeyman? You know, well, it, not it, that the rest of the team is journeyman, but right. It depends on what your your vision is. You know, each team has their own vision, and you see some teams do it well, uh, and some teams do it very, very poorly. And if your if your approach in MLS is to build around a star player, you're never going to succeed um, because you need to look at your culture, look at the at the culture of your fans, look at the culture of what you're trying to create, your cult, your the culture of your coach, and say what type of guy are we looking for, not. Not what player are we looking for, what type of player right. and what type of guy. And, you know, as you say, the Valeris, the Piatis, um, they got, a, the, you know, Montreal and and, and um, Portland did, they got gems in the rough. You know, they, they got, wow, they, they nailed it on those guys. But everyone's not so lucky. You see the turnover of these guys, of that mid to high range player come in and out and in and out because... There's no thought process of going in. Does he fit in with our system? Does he fit in with the complementary players around him? And so what I've seen, especially in the 
um, and I know you're going to hate this, but like, you know, the Kansas cities and like the, the successful clubs, mm-hmm. um, in, in MLS past is they build around a certain core group of guys, you know, the, the mid to lower range paid players, but have experience, um, you know, the Dax McCarty's who are, you know, you can pay 450,000 or whatever to, and you're going to get so much value. Yeah. And then you sprinkle in a Schweinsteiger next to him. You don't. You don't get Schweinsteiger. I love Schweinsteiger sprinkles. Right, little Schweiny sprinkles on the top. Schweiny yeah. sprinkles. Um, hashtag Schweiny sprinkles. <laughs> um, but you don't. You don't build around Schweinsteiger. You don't. Yeah. You don't build around um, even David Acomp. You don't build around those guys. You just sprinkle them in. And so, um, for and- Minnesota, especially for Minnesota. Um, this is a club and this is a, a community that I think has a unique opportunity to build around the blue collar, low to mid range players who just are fighters. And then you sprinkle in those talents where like, wow, that guy has it. But if that personality on that player doesn't match the players around him, it doesn't matter how special of a player is, he won't help the team. Can I ask you about this? I um I'm increasingly convinced that that we that I'm convincing myself to go away from thinking Minnesota needs to sign a ten, and that's the most important thing. All winter long, Alex and I and everyone every week someone will be like, What's the one thing you would sign a ten? I um I think that um we need more than anything else, uh a like Midfield marshal, I, I I just I'm not convinced by the Ibsen. And I think we actually even talked about this the last time you were on this podcast, but I'm not convinced by the Ibsen Cronin pairing. I'm not convinced by any of the midfield pairs. I love all of those guys, Cronin and Ibsen. Uh, but I I just I think if we put a six in there, who was the best out mm-hmm. there, uh, and and I wonder who. You mentioned Dax. Obviously, he's he's one of those guys. Who's who are these kind of central midfield? Uh, you know, I guess Michael Bradley would, would yeah. be the other, right? I, I wanted to sign Michael Bradley. In sure. The, uh, who who out there stands out as, as these number sixes around the league that that kind of? You know, I I, I always think of a guy sometimes like um, like a Matias Lava, where mm-hmm. where you the guy does so much work on the field that is not noticed and um, cleans up a lot of the ugly stuff that lets the other special players around him do their thing. Mm -hmm. That's the type of player, you know, and I think Sam Cronin's a fantastic player um, and he's got so much experience. Um, But like you said, the complimentary players around him, um, Ibsen last year had to do a lot and you don't want Ibsen to have to do that much. Yeah. Because Ibsen is Ibsen in the attacking half, um, you know, making slide tackles at our back uh, at our eighteen, and then having to develop the play—that's that's not making them full use of that player. Um, and so you need complementary players to say, okay, this is your role, this is your role, and this is yours. And I think that's why fans are screaming for a number ten is because they they didn't, you know, people thought Molino was going to do it, and I don't even think Molino knew his role because he was moved around so much and. Mm-hmm. And that's another guy when we talk about building around players, you know, like building your team around. Minnesota attempted to build around him last year where he 
personally, Sorry. oops, Siri. <laughs> Siri's in your pocket Siri's jumping understood. out. Hey. Sorry, Jim. Sorry. Um, so it's like if you're building a guy, around a guy like that and then you're moving him outside and then you're moving him to 10 and then you're, you know, there was a lot of confusion even in the players' roles that they it looked like they didn't know what their role was on yeah. the given day. And so if you get a, a – if you build your spine of the team um, – and you say, okay, we have center backs, we have a stud at the six, and our eight is a workhorse, our ten is just a creative genius, and then our wingers, who Minnesota and Adrian Heath apparently loves, you get those special players, and then you have Christian Ramirez who can bang a goal. Like yeah. it's you have to complement the the players. You can't just go out looking for the best possible player because yeah. like it's like any team. If you have the best Team on paper, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't, especially in MLS. Uh, Steve Lindley has a, a pretty like just uh, good question here. How does player should comp- I have Siri answer? Yeah, yeah, okay. Siri. How does uh, <laughs> player compensation work for events like the kit reveal or target meet and greet or whatever? How does that work in your contract in, in an MLS contract? So MLS, and I, I'm trying to remember the new CBA, but when usually each player in their MLS contract, you have three or four appearances for the team um, and for unpaid. So you have, those are required for every mm-hmm. player. And then after that, um, each one becomes kind of, um, once you get after three or four, it kind of becomes, I think, 300 or $350 per appearance um, is standard. But for these, and each team is different. And this is something that um, a lot of teams work around the CBA is they, you know, some teams I played for, we had, say, a, a camp with kids, and we would go out there and as a team, a full team, and it was mandatory. And some guys were at their fourth or fifth appearance at that time, and the team would say, "Well, that's not paid because this is a this is a, just a side team event." And so, mm-hmm. there's ways around that. And yeah. I'd, I'd say, for obviously earlier in the season, I'm sure that um, stuff like that is, isn't paid, but. Um, you do have a, a minimum requirement that uh, each mm-hmm. player has to go to. Um, th- let's see. Uh, this is from Carl Bates. He says, based on uh, front office comments in the media this offseason, have you gotten the vibe that they weren't quite proactive enough? Scouting seems to have continued well into January and then bids were placed thereafter. Harder to acquire players once their seasons are underway, like Benedetti. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll just... Answer that. I, I think that what people, what we hear on the public side of what's going on is like iceberg stuff, right? I mean, there were certainly negotiations and offers for other players. Uh, Benedetti is definitely not the only DP person they've gone after. It's just the one that hit. And, you know, for a while I was just like, in the languages that I knew players were being targeted targeted in, I would just look, was there any mention of Minnesota United in any players in in this language mm-hmm. in the last month or week to see if I was missing anything? Mm-hmm. I think that um, it's not really... Th- there may be problems with scouting, that, that certainly, but I don't think it's fair to judge it from the, the pers- iceberg perspective that we have. Um, uh, d- just a couple more questions here. Um, 
Andy Schletz asks, Jeb, just watched the Best of Mike Dean compilation. What was the funniest thing you ever saw a referee do or say in, in your career? <laughs> That's a great question. You don't have to name no, names. I do. Uh, I have a um, fantastic story when I was growing up. Uh, when I was, I mean, it wasn't so much as what the referee did, but um, it was a fantastic interaction at a state cup uh, semifinal when I was, I think, 14 years old. Um, my coach at the time, uh, in anyone who knows the Colorado rush, um, we were known to be just, I mean, I guess you could say uh, we had a lot of assholes, but I mean, we had some passionate coaches, we had passionate people and that's, I was very lucky, but this particular day, the referee was just horrendous. And, um, my coach, our coach was going back and forth with the referee. Finally, the referee stops the game goes over to our coach and um, I hear my coach say, hey ref, can I get kicked out for what I think? And the referee says, no, of course not. He says, well, I think you fucking suck. <laughs> and then, so the referee, I think he was about a, he was about a 30 year, you know, a 30 year old guy. It's a younger yeah. guy, but he, he took it in stride, gave him a yellow card. Mm -hmm. And uh, I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, that that's a straight red for me. But um, especially in MLS, uh, so he comes back second half, like it's, it's going back and forth, uh, comes over to the coach cause our coach just can't let things go. And he's writing him up and he says, uh, you know, like I didn't get your name for the, the yellow card. Like we're going to, he's going to report him or something. He says, what's your name? And our coach was, his name was Rob. And he says, uh, uh, Ben and he says, Ben, what? He says, Dover. Bend over and get your head at her ass. And <laughs> there it is. The red card showed, and he was out of there. That was the best, one of the best displays of a referee coaching experience. So you'll always have that. Um, final question. Aaron Penn says, Jeb, I think my DNA test will show I'm 25% Italian, 25% Dutch, 49% Scottish, and 1% Ghanaian. Who should I root for in the World Cup? Yeah, and I, I I think I tweeted back at him. I said you need to get a twenty three and Me test because yeah. this is um, that's brutal. But what, what are you going to be doing? Um, I want to be covering it from gener Generation Footy's perspective and mm -hmm. what American players can be taken out of this because okay. there's always a learning opportunity. But it's it's going to be sad because you're not going to be rooting for the top teams. But uh, I don't know. I think I'm going to root for maybe a dark horse this year, and I'm. You, well, Belgium. Are you going to? No, I'm not going to go with Belgium. That's not really a dark horse. Well, dark for the last like three World Cups. But now all the big boys the, are kind the, of. I like, know, the, but the Belgium dark horse has yeah. been. It's been beaten. They're to overdue. That. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, what, what about you? Who are you going to? Uh, well, I I have um, I've like uh, my 23 and Me is like 30 countries all throughout Europe. So, uh, I have certain countries that like are you know i'm part english but i can't root for the english mm. because of a hatred for most of the english players um uh, but uh I'm, I'm danish that's one that's the part that i'm going to embrace so uh rodrigo is a guy who's often on this podcast he's from peru we're in the same group we now hate each other sir uh, bentner yeah so um so yeah the the danish part is what i'm what i'm gonna embrace Good. uh and then there's just teams you have to hate among them ghana because mm. They always destroy. Talk teams. about defensive center midfielders. Yeah. That country's figured it out. 
Well, thank you, Jeb. Uh, it's great to have you on the podcast again. Uh, everyone check out Generation Footy on Twitter, on the website, uh, and, and, and you know, uh, check out uh, the resume and the show notes and things like that. But thanks, thanks for uh, coming back. Thanks for having me. Appreciate yeah. it.